Well, we come today, my name is Eric Channing, if you're new, I'm the lead pastor here. We come, we come today to the end of the book of Colossians, and if it's in your Bibles, it may be called the final greetings. I don't know what your Bible says. Mine says final greetings. We're going to be there at the end of Colossians 4, verses 7 to the end of the book. So hear the word of the Lord for us today. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you. They will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice. These are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and in Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans. And see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. This is the word of the Lord for us today. You can sit down as we pray that the Lord would show us his purpose for this text today. Father in heaven, we are so grateful that you have given us your word, your living and active word, and we pray that today, by the power of your spirit, you might help us to apply this section of your word to our lives. Help us to be challenged Help us to see your heart in these verses. We pray that in Christ's name, amen. Well, there's something that I know about every single person in this room. Don't worry, I have not been stalking you on Facebook. I didn't go around trying to figure something out. What I know about everyone in this room is that you have a God-given need for community for being part of something that is bigger than yourself. This need for community starts right at the beginning, right when we're born, we need to be held. Many of you, we've had a lot of births here at Hope Fellowship over the last couple months, and, and we've had infant dedications and things like this. When you are first born, you need to be held. There are studies shown that if kids are not held for periods of time, there's gonna be emotional and physical responses that are negative throughout their whole life. But, but this need for being held close, for being in a community, isn't just for toddlers or little kids. It continues throughout life. 
And whether or not we're in community right now, we tend to love watching community. So you think about some of the most popular shows over the last decades. What, what are the popular shows? If you're of a little bit older generation, you'll remember Happy Days. So you've got the Cunningham family and, and the Fonz. Okay, I see a couple, only a couple actually know what I'm talking about there. But as you get a little younger, there, there was Cheers, where, where everybody knows your name. And then if you're, if you're a little bit younger, uh, there was Seinfeld, there was Friends, there was, and then if you're younger, there's The Office. And then if you're younger, I don't actually know what's relevant today, but there's something today that's even more relevant. But the point is, is that we need community, we long for community, we love to see community, and it's not just in media out there. What did God say in Genesis 2, verse 18? After everything he created, that was good. Everything is good, 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 good. The first not good of the Bible was that it's not good that man should be alone. And of course, that's in the context of marriage, but we can extrapolate that out. It's not good for men and women to be alone. We need community. And so when we come to the end of the book of Colossians, in this text, our passage today gives us a window into the nature of gospel community. What does it look like to be a part of God's mission in this world? And today, God is inviting us into that mission. He is inviting us into that community. You know, we can get to the end of a passage like this or a book like this, into this passage, and if you're like me, you may just gloss over some of these names. Like, okay, Paul's greeting people. I mean, I'm going to get to First Thessalonians. That's the next one. We could conclude that none of this section applies to us today, but that would be wrong. Because God never makes mistakes when it comes to his word. Every single word is there for a purpose. The Holy Spirit has given it to us so that we might be challenged, we might be rebuked, corrected, instructed in righteousness, including this section with all of these names. And what we see in these last verses in Colossians is Jesus' mission in action. We see themes of the book that come alive through stories, through people. So think about the spread of the gospel. In Colossians 1, Paul says that the gospel is bearing fruit and increasing in the Colossian church and around the whole world. In this section here, we're gonna see how that's happened through Paul's ministry team, the, that people have been saved throughout the whole uh, part of the known world today at that time. Another, another theme that we've seen throughout the book of Colossians is prayer, the, the need for prayer, the constancy in prayer. So back in chapter one, verse nine, Paul says that he and his companions were not ceasing to pray for the Colossians. Last week, we learned about how we were to devote ourselves to prayer. And here in our passage today, we see that model of devoting ourselves to prayer through Epaphras in our text. Another theme throughout Colossians has been our new identity in Christ. What does it mean that we are new in Christ, that we have been given a new nature? Back in chapter three of Colossians, Paul says that means that here in the church, there's no Greek or Jew, there's no slave or free, and he goes on like that. And we see that reality in living color through the stories of real people here at the end of the letter. 
So with all of that, we, we've got this culmination of the book coming to a head here as he's giving his final greetings, Paul, that is. What is the main takeaway for us today? What is the core proposition that we need to remember? I believe that it's this. It's an implication of all these names being listed, and it is that Jesus invites you into his mission. He invites you to join his mission. And in this text, it, we have a picture of what gospel ministry looks like. And from this passage, we can derive three ways to engage in Jesus' mission to the world. Three ways. So first, embrace the personal nature of gospel ministry. We'll see that in verses 7 to 9. Second, marvel at who the Lord uses to accomplish his purposes. We'll see that in verses 10 to 14. And then third, recognize that we need one another. That's in verses 15 to 17. So first, as we seek to participate in Jesus' mission, we must embrace the personal nature of gospel ministry. You may have heard the phrase, I would love ministry if it weren't for the people. Uh, This is normally said kind of like tongue-in-cheek as a joke, but that mindset that I would love ministry if it weren't for the people, that must never be true for those of us who know and love Jesus Christ. Because all gospel ministry, which I'm defining broadly, serving others in the name and authority of the Lord Jesus, all gospel ministry is intensely personal. Think about it, when God wanted to communicate his love for the world, he didn't send an email. He, he didn't uh, deliver the message with a carrier pigeon. He didn't write a message in the clouds for us to see. No, he sent a person. He sent the God-man, Jesus Christ, his very own son, to live and to die for us, to show us what it means to live a perfect life, to show us that we can't live that life on our own, that, uh, that we need to trust in him with our lives. So all ministry that we do in the name of this Jesus must be personal. All gospel ministry is personal. So we see that nature, the nature of personal ministry in verse seven. Paul says this, Tychicus will tell you about all my activities. He is a beloved brother, a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. We need to remember that Paul had never been to the town of Colossae. He he knew some of the members of the church there, but he hadn't spent any time there. And to deliver this this letter, he sent one of his trusted uh, lieutenants, his trusted co-workers in person to spend time with them face to face. And he's done so for two reasons, according to the text. He sent Tychicus so that the Colossians could get an update on what's been going on through Paul and his team. And if you've read the book of Acts, wherever Paul went, a lot went on. There (laughs) There was miracles, there's people coming to Christ. So they were getting an update. Tychicus will tell you about all my activities. But second, he also sent uh, Tychicus to the Colossians that they would be encouraged. Don't you love being encouraged? I think it was Mark Twain who said he could live for two months on a good compliment. 
And here, Tychicus is coming to encourage their hearts. Remember, the Colossians were kind of beat down. There was these false teachers that were ravaging the church. They were trying to say that there was something beyond Jesus that the Colossians needed to trust in, that they needed to do. But here, he sent him uh, Tychicus so that he, they would be encouraged. And one of the main ways they were going to be encouraged was through God's very word, penned through the Apostle Paul, that Tychicus was carrying. He was carrying this letter that we've been reading to the Colossians right there to the uh, church. But Tychicus wasn't alone. If you look at the text, he also sent Onesimus along with him. So he says in verse 9 that Onesimus is a faithful and beloved brother. He's one of you, meaning he's from Colossae. He is from your hometown. And Onesimus, we've talked about this in prior weeks, he was a slave. He was a slave who had probably stolen from his master Philemon, who was also in the church in Colossae. And he had probably stolen money, gone to Rome, thinking he can hide out there. But when he was in Rome, the Lord didn't let him hide because he heard the message of the gospel through Paul and came to know the Lord Jesus. And he began to serve Paul there in Rome. But Paul realizes he's got to make it right. Onesimus needs to go back. And so he sends Onesimus with Tychicus back all the way to Colossae. And I don't know if Onesimus was carrying the very letter to Philemon, but likely it's either Tychicus or Onesimus. They're carrying the letter to the Ephesians, the letter to the Colossians, and the letter to Philemon. Can you imagine the trepidation Onesimus would have? You know, it's his, it, he's, sent, he's, he's giving this letter to his former or his current master that he is... Uh, really betrayed. And so these are the two that Paul sends on this mission. You know, Paul, in sending that letter to Philemon and having Onesimus here, he was getting involved into a very personal, a very messy situation. And ministry can be like that. It can be very messy because it involves getting into the depths of one another's lives. And our lives are complex. Our lives are messy. And so Paul shows us through this example that we can't shy away from messiness if we want to be part of gospel ministry. Instead, we're to share one another's lives with one another. In verse 9, he says the same thing for the third time, essentially, in, in three verses. He says, Onesimus and Tychicus, they will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Likely that includes, how did Onesimus come to faith? How the gospel is spreading? Why was Paul in prison? What were their needs? They were sharing life. It was personal. If you know and keep in touch with any kind of missionaries, you know this experience. Just the other week, I received a letter from some friends of ours who are ministering in Africa. And in that letter, they shared about how one of their fathers had suddenly died. It was a tragic piece of news. And in the same letter, they shared with us how the gospel was spreading in the Ivory Coast, how it was going forth throughout the university that, that, where they were ministering and beyond. Ministry is personal. I wonder if the fact that ministry is personal causes you to pause. Maybe you're a very private person. 
You don't like to share details of your life with others. You're, you're just kind of reserved. Or maybe you've been burned in the past. You, you did open up at one time, and you, uh, the information you shared was shared with other people. Maybe that's not the case. Maybe you're just an open book and this really isn't an issue for you. Whatever the case is, these verses lead us to embrace the personal nature of ministry. That means if you follow Jesus, if you're a follower of Christ, Jesus has put you right where you are right now at this point in history. He's put you there to be a blessing to others and to be blessed by others. He's put you in a community. We are called into a body. If you're here as part of Hope Fellowship, he's called you here to be part of this gospel community. You see, a Lone Ranger Christian, it's not a thing. There, there, there's no category for that in the Bible. There is no such thing as a Lone Ranger Christian. We are called into a body. We're called into a community. So I want you to think just very practically Today, how can I, how can you be personal with someone this week? It's Thanksgiving week. You're going to be around family. You're going to be a little bit uh, off your normal schedule. How can you be personal with someone this week? Maybe it's reaching out to someone the Lord's laying on your heart, even right now. Yeah, I've, I've been needing to call that person. They look like they're not doing so well, and I need to follow up. Maybe it's someone just right after the service that uh, you need to approach. It, it could be that you write a letter of encouragement. Like I said, you can live on a good compliment, Mark Twain said, for two months. So it might be just you're, you're called to encourage someone. Whatever it is, press into this. Embrace the fact that ministry is personal. Ministry is messy, but God has called us into it, and it's a beautiful thing. So will you embrace that as part of being on Jesus' mission? So if we're going to participate in Jesus' mission in the world, we must embrace that ministry is personal. At the same time, this passage should lead us to marvel at who God uses to accomplish his purpose. That's our second point here. Marvel at who God uses to accomplish his purposes. At face value, if you look just at names on a page, whether it's a genealogy in the Bible, you think of like the beginning of Matthew, you think of some of like... Uh, Leviticus and Numbers and here, uh, you can read that portion of scripture and it could seem a bit, a bit tedious, it could seem even boring to you, but in the Bible, names are there for a reason. Names represent stories, stories of people whom God is using for his purposes. And in this next section, we can marvel at who God has brought together as part of Paul's ministry team. So we've already talked about Tychicus and Onesimus. Tychicus was a man from Asia, uh, likely from the town of Ephesus. And Onesimus was about 100 miles from there. His hometown was about 100 miles from there in Colossae. Tychicus was free. Onesimus was a slave. Through the gospel, they are now partners in ministry. They are, they are on mission from Paul to the Colossian church. They're doing ministry together. And then in these next verses, we get a glimpse of some of the others Jesus has called on his mission. First, we see three that are Jewish Christians. That's what of the circumcision means in verse 11. We see Aristarchus, Mark, and Justice, and the rest are Greek or Gentiles. We just need to pause there and say, this is amazing. 
This is amazing that we have Jewish Christians and Gentiles working on the same team. Jews and Gentiles did not interact with one another. Remember John uh, 4 when Jesus, the disciples were like, why are you talking to this, this woman, this Samaritan woman? I mean, they just, you don't interact. Remember Peter in Acts 10, it, there's this huge surprise. Why would you go to a, Gentile, a Gentile's house in, in Cornelius? But here, through the gospel, the Lord unites people that would never be united together. And Jews and Gentiles are ministering together. In verse 10, we learn about the Jewish Christians, that Aristarchus is imprisoned with Paul for the sake of the gospel. He's from Thessalonica, which is in Macedonia. Mark is somewhat of a complicated figure. He was from Jerusalem. He's also called Mark, John Mark. Uh, You'll remember that he went on a missionary journey with Paul and Barnabas some 20 years before. And they were going on this missionary journey. There was some hardship, there's persecution. And in Pamphylia, they were about halfway through their journey. Mark decides, I'm out of here. We don't know why, but maybe he got homesick. Maybe, he, maybe the persecution was too much. He saw people getting thrown in prison. He said, I'm going back home. I'm going to Jerusalem. Well, Paul wasn't so happy with that. So the next time that they were to go on a missionary journey, Paul and Barnabas, uh, Paul's like, we're not taking Mark. And Barnabas like, yeah, we are. He's my cousin. And Paul's like, no. And, and then they kept going, and there was a sharp disagreement. You can read about it in Acts 15. Just a sharp disagreement. There was a split between Paul and Barnabas. Paul took Silas, went one way. Barnabas took Mark and went another way. But the encouraging part about having Mark listed here is that now, 20 years later, there has been restoration. There has been forgiveness. You know, Mark was probably young. He was probably immature. He had probably burned some bridges with Paul, but now he has been restored. And earlier in the book of Colossians, it said, forgive one another as you have been forgiven. And this has happened. This has happened between Paul and Mark. There had been an extension of forgiveness in some way, and uh, they were now restored to full fellowship. And you may know that later on, Mark went on to write Peter's account of the gospel, which is now the book of Mark. So it's a wonderful story of reconciliation. And why do I kind of belabor that point right now? It's because the presence of Mark here should be an encouragement to all of us who feel like we've blown it in the past. Maybe we feel like our opportunity for effective gospel ministry to make a difference for Jesus was years ago, or that we're somehow on the sidelines now because of something we've done. Well, the presence of Mark here is a reminder that despite our mistakes, God can restore us. God will still use us if we come to him. There's, there's no person that it's like, nope, you, you're disqualified for life Be, if we have uh, repentance and we, we come back to him. He can still use us. Well, then we have uh, this Jesus called, you can see why he didn't want to be called Jesus, so he calls himself Justice, um, and we don't know anything about him, but I love that the only thing we know about him is that he and Aristarchus and Mark have been a comfort to Paul. How about that? For all of human history, all that's known about you, Justice, is that you are a comfort to God's apostle. What a a wonderful legacy that is. 
Well, then we come in verse 12 to Epaphras. He's the founder of the Colossian church, and he's reintroduced here. Remember in chapter one, Paul said that they had learned the gospel from Epaphras. Everything they knew about the gospel, this came from Epaphras. He was a colossal figure in the church. You know, there's a commercial out these days. It's for dandruff shampoo, so if you have dandruff, this could be helpful to you. Uh, no, but there's, there's a former football player that's in this commercial, and every time he shows up, he's, he's working another job. He's working another job. And the tagline of this commercial is, never not working. Never not working. And here we see Epaphras. He is never not working. Never not working. How is he working for them? He's not even with them. He's never not working. It's because he is working with, for them in prayer. For those in Laodicea, in Hierapolis, and there in Colossians, his work is in prayer. So look, verse 12, he is struggling on their behalf. Verse 13, he has worked hard for them. You know, we, we talked about this last week, but here again, we are reminded that prayer is difficult. Prayer can be work in fact. And when we devote ourselves to it, it doesn't mean it's going to come easy. Epaphras knows that God alone can grow and mature the Colossians. And so he is praying, verse 12, that they may stand mature, that they may be fully assured in all the will of God. You may know that we've been trying this uh, picture project over the last few weeks. Thanks to all who got their picture taken. We're going to do it again in a couple weeks. But the uh, pastors and elders are wanting to take your picture so that we can do this. We can be an example in prayer to you, that we could see a picture of you, pray for you proactively, that you may do this, that you may stand mature and you may be fully assured in all the will of God. That is our hope as leaders of this church, that we would uh, stand before God and lift you up before him. But this example of Epaphras is not, just an is not just for church leaders. It's also a call to you. It's a call to you to pray for those in your sphere of influence, that they might grow in their faith, people around you. You, you know people that are really struggling in, your in their faith. Uh, this example of Epaphras is one that you could be praying for them that they may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. Well, as we move on, verse 14 says that Luke is there with Paul. This is uh, Dr. Luke, Paul's faithful companion. Aren't we so grateful? He is beloved. He's beloved by everyone there. He's beloved by us because he wrote the gospel of Luke. He wrote the book of Acts. He's, uh, he's done it very clearly. So <laughs> we're grateful for him. And then to close this section of the text, we learn that Demas greets the Colossians. It's just one word, Demas is there. And at this point, he's a companion of Paul. He's uh, alongside this ministry. But the presence of Demas here should be a great warning to us. Because we learn later on in his life, in 2 Timothy 4, we learn that Demas departs from the faith. At least departs from Paul. He probably departed from the faith, most people think. In modern terms, uh, we would say he deconstructed his faith. But right here, Demas is right in the thick of it. He is alongside Paul and all the other people. Uh, but in, in 2 Timothy 4, in verse 12, we learn why he left the mission. 
it was because he was in love with the present world. So Demas being listed here should be a chilling reminder of our daily need to walk with Jesus, to not neglect meeting together, because Demas let the lure of the world get him, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life. He let those things overtake him. You know, there's a book on my shelf that is about the dangers of ministry or pastoral ministry. The dangers of teaching others to do something and then not doing it yourself. The danger of being inoculated with the gospel so that you're familiar with it, but you're not letting it affect your heart. In that book, there was five endorsers on the back of the the book. Three of the five, this book came out 10 years ago, three of the five are no longer either in ministry or even walking with the Lord at all. One has renounced the faith and two others are no longer in ministry. It's a chilling reminder that you can be among us, you can be in the church, you can be experiencing what God is doing, but not be in the faith or currently faithful and then later fall away. So friends, we must all take heed that we stand lest we fall. This example from Demas and from that book of mine should warn us that it should remind us that we need to walk with Jesus today. We can't count on yesterday's faithfulness. We can't count on what God did when we were 13, when we were at that camp, whatever. We need to follow Jesus today. And right now, you might sense that you are in a bad place with the Lord, that you've lost your way. Well, today is a great day to confess that to the Lord, to tell someone here about that so that you cannot be like Demas, that you would not fall away, but that you can be brought back. You could be restored and be like Mark. For all of us, wherever we are tempted to deal with sin, on our own, whenever we're trying to live the Christian life on our own, remember Demas and ask God to keep you faithful every day. Well, before we move on to the next section of the text, just take a look at the snapshot of the people Jesus uses for his mission in this world. He uses a slave, Onesimus, and free, all the, all the rest. He uses Jews, Aristarchus, Mark, Justice, and Gentiles. He uses foreigners from many nations, so people from Macedonia and Asia and Judea and Cilicia, just in this section. He uses men and women. In a moment, we'll see how Nympha and the church in her home, she hosted a church in her home. And then those who have failed, he uses them, like John Mark. And he uses you, and he uses me. This text makes it clear that the church is not a social club for people that are just like us, that dress like us, that talk like us, think like us. No, the church is a community of redeemed sinners from all walks of life, from all backgrounds. It's a community on an eternity-altering rescue mission to introduce people to Jesus and to build them up to be like him. So if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, He wants you to respond to him today, to join 
his mission. The first step in doing so is to become on his team, to become a citizen of heaven, of his kingdom. And you can do that today by admitting that you have failed, that you have not lived up to the standard he requires, which is perfection, that you have fallen short and that you are guilty of sinning against him. You can tell Jesus that you believe he's the savior of the world, that he has lived and died for you, and he has risen from the grave. And give him, say, I want to give you my life. You can do that today, and any one of us would love to welcome you into the family of God, to welcome you and say, yes, you are now on mission with Jesus. But for many of us, we've done that, And today, if you meet someone at Hope Fellowship who is of a different age, a different race, a different country, different background, I would say rejoice. Rejoice because you see how God is at work. We don't want to be around just everyone who is like us because God has called all types of people to himself. When he is lifted up, Jesus said, I will draw all men and women to myself. He does that. So marvel at the people God uses to accomplish his purposes. Well, if we're going to engage in Jesus' mission, the final way we can do so is by recognizing that we need one another. It's often not until you're injured that you realize how much the body, uh, one part of the body needs the other. So if you, if you have like a back injury, it's pretty obvious because you just can't do anything. Uh, but a couple years ago, I found that this, uh, even small injuries can, <laughs> can do this. So I had a, uh, it's almost hard to just admit this, I had a hangnail injury. So there was a hangnail on one of my fingers, and somehow, I don't know how this happened, it got infected. And it was, it was all swollen, it was, it was gross looking, but it also, anytime anything touched it, it it killed. It was like needles touching my finger. So I couldn't type very well. I couldn't put on gloves. And who would have known that a hangnail could affect your entire body in whatever you do? Now you're just like, well, Eric, you're weak. Um, and I, I get that. But the point is this. Well, God has arranged his body in the same way, that we are interdependent of one another. You may feel like a hangnail in the body of Christ, but you are needed. You are indispensable. There is no one who is part of the body that is part of this mission that is kind of, uh, can just be discarded, is not needed in some way. Everyone is needed. And, and here, if we want to be concerned about the advance of the gospel, that means with, with the body of Christ, we can't just be concerned about hope fellowship here. We need to be concerned about the entire body, wherever God is at work, because what happens here does affect the rest of the body and vice versa. So in verse 15, we see this need for local partnership. For the Colossians, their local partnership was with the Laodiceans. So look at verse 15. Give my greetings to the brothers in Laodicea and to Nympha, the church in her house. And when the letter has been read among you, have it also read to the church in Laodicea. See also that you have read this letter from Laodicea. You see, Paul's vision was not confined to one little geographical area. 
God had given him a vision of himself. He understood that God was at work all around the world. And here Paul is extending his influence, not just to the town of Colossae, but also just up the road in Laodicea. And so Paul is resourcing the church with God's word through him and asking the Colossians to partner with the Laodiceans and vice versa. Unfortunately, we lost this letter to the Laodiceans, or maybe the Lord didn't want us to have it. Maybe there's something in there that wasn't going to be God's word to us. And so we don't have that letter, but there was partnership here between these two towns. Then we hear about Nympha, who is singled out here by Paul. She's a woman who hosted the church of Laodicea in her home. And just as a side note, it is so encouraging to see how God gave influential roles to women in the first century. So here we have Nympha at the end of Romans. We have Phoebe, who is a patron to many. We see in the Gospels that Joanna and some others provided for Jesus, these women provided for Jesus' own ministry out of their own means. So the Lord, even in a patriarchal society, which the first century was, the Lord was using women, and he still uses women, just like men, to accomplish his purposes on this earth. And then the point is this. So Colossians were in partnership with churches in their area. He was using all sorts of people. And when we think about Hope Fellowship and our place in the body, that is why we partner with people like the Gospel Coalition. We, we partner with pastors. We go to events because we have like-mindedness with them, and so we partner with their churches and pastors. It's also why we give to local church plants, and we want to fund uh, other churches being planted, just like we were some years ago, because we know it's not just about hope, fellowship. We want to be in fellowship and encourage healthy gospel partnerships. Well, next, we see the strategic nature of church leaders in verse 17, how we are dependent upon church leadership uh, there. It says, and say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry you have received in the Lord. We learn from the book of Philemon that Ar Archippus was a fellow soldier. He was a, likely a leader in the Colossian church. And so we don't know what this ministry was that he was to fulfill, but it could have involved countering the false teaching there in Colossae. The point is that church leadership is important. It's a, it's a high call. In a church, as we've seen throughout Chicagoland and the world, a church can rise and fall on church leadership. And so even at the end of, or the beginning of next year, I'm going to be preaching a sermon on what it means to be an elder. Because here in the Hope Fellowship, we're, we're in need of a few more elders. You may have noticed. We, we only have four, and uh, we're losing one, and uh, a second at the end of uh, July. So we'll be down to two. So we need more elders here at Hope Fellowship. And so I would ask that you would even begin praying right now. Begin looking, seeing who is doing this work of an elder among us. And after I preach that sermon in January, we're, we're going to be asking you for some names, and we're going to prayerfully approach some people about becoming uh, leaders here at Hope Fellowship, because it is so important. The body is dependent upon leaders doing what they're supposed to do. Well, in the final verse of the letter, Paul draws the Colossians' attention back to his situation, and by implication, he draws us to remember the authenticity of this message. 
So he says, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. You see, Paul was not like the false teachers in Colossae. He was not out for shameful gain. He wanted the Colossians to know that he was dictating this letter. You know, he gave the John Hancock. You know, John Hancock just signed the Declaration of Independence. Huge. He's like, wow, why did he do that? But uh, here Paul is signing. I don't know if he signed it big or small, but he was signing with his own hand. Timothy probably wrote the rest of it as Paul was dictating. But he's saying, this is from me. This is real. And he, he wanted to know that this was authentic. He also wanted them to remember that he was suffering because of this message. This was a message that he was willing to die for. And eventually he did die for it. It's important for us to remember that when we hold a Bible today, when we have a Bible in English, we need to remember that people have been imprisoned. People have been burned at the stake so that we have an English Bible. People like Wycliffe and Tyndale and and these heroes of the faith. There have been people who have been martyred and because of their testimony and witness, the gospel has been spread and it has come to Lombard, Illinois and Wheaton, Illinois and all of these places around us. We are at the ends of the earth. And so we, we need to remember Paul's chains, but also remember uh, people around the world, both historical and current, that we're part of this body. We are part of this mission going forward. And so today, as we get to the end of the letter, I believe God wants us to see the interdependence within the body of Christ. Paul played his role. He was the apostle to the Gentiles. Mark and Luke also wrote scripture along with Paul. Nympha practiced hospitality in her home. Tychicus and Onesimus served by being couriers, sending the letters to Colossae. The point is this. If you have been called by Christ, if you have been called to him, you have been called for a purpose. He, is, he has a purpose for you. He wants to make you more like himself. Jesus will make you more like himself, but he has also given you a job to do in the power of the Spirit. He has works for you, planned from before the beginning of time, that he wants you to carry out. You are needed in the body of Christ. So as we close, I want you to think about how God has called you to participate in his mission. How has he called you to serve? Because the Christian life is not about coming to church and seeing other people do ministry. People like me are called to equip you for the work of ministry. It's an exciting adventure where you get to join in what God is doing all around you. And as we've talked about, you live the Christian life just as you came to him, by grace, through faith. And in in that, we step out in faith and we use the gifts he's given us. So how is he wanting to use you? How has he used you? Maybe through prayer, maybe through serving, through sharing your faith. There's countless other ways that he's wanting to use you in other believers' lives and people all around you. All for his glory. So how is he calling you to serve? And as we do so, we want to uh, do these things all while receiving this final exhortation that Paul gave to the Colossians. Grace be with you. Grace be with you. That's, That's the foundation with which everything we do in the Christian life. We need to receive God's grace. So 
Let's end that way. Grace be with you. Let's pray together. Father, we are so grateful for your love, for your care of us. We're grateful to see this picture of a ministry team that Paul had, how you used flawed people for your purposes, and you still are using flawed people for your purposes. Lord, we pray that you would magnify your name here at Hope Fellowship, that you would make us more like you, and that we would uh, do all things for the glory of the Lord Jesus. We pray that in Christ's name. Amen.